0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you want to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life whole Bible reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday.
1: And as you read, and there may be questions that pop up, or even through some of these podcast questions may arrive, we would love to hear some of those questions so we can spend time uh, at the, the last Friday of every month. Uh, answering those questions live on this podcast. So we'd love for you to do that. Uh, send them in at info.grove.church or you can even Facebook uh, direct message the Facebook page with your questions as well.
0: All right. So this week, uh, I I'm, I feel pretty confident that the name of this episode is going to be the Messiah episode. Which normally I don't name. What one. if we
1: call it the Messiah Complex?
0: The Messiah Complex?
1: That doesn't work. Never mind. It's not really a complex. <laughs> the Complex Messiah.
0: Ooh. Um, normally I wait till after the, we were finished recording to figure out what the name is going to be. But uh, we're we we're going to we're going to be talking a lot about. Uh, the messianic prophecies, the Messiah in the Bible, all those different things. So uh, it's going to be really exciting. So our our first section that we're reading through uh, this week is the book of Micah. And so Micah is one of the minor prophets. uh, And again, that just refers to length, not necessarily the importance of their prophetic ministry. And uh, we're going to read the most famous, I would say the most famous portion of the book of Micah. But before we get to that, I do want to kind of give us a little bit of context as to what's going on in the book. With the prophets, particularly the prophets who are later in the history of Israel and Judah, um, most of their prophetic work is basically talking about the coming destruction of Israel of the kingdoms um, and and encouraging the people of God to repent. And so this week in both Micah and Isaiah, we're going to see these prophecies of destruction, this God revealing to his people that there is going to be something terrible that's going to happen for the North. Assyria is going to come in, conquer and Assyria is actually going to do a lot of damage to Judah as well. And then eventually Babylon will come in um, and conquer the nation of Judah. But there's also, and and this is really important I think because it's present all throughout the Bible that in the midst of God's wrath, there is also hope um, and the hope that is offered is this idea of the Messiah or someone who is going to come um, and eventually make, set Israel right again, and not just set Israel right, but also set um, everyone else right. And so in the book of Micah, as we're reading through in, in chapter four, you're going to see really a lot about the destruction of Judah that's coming up. And then in chapter five, in the first verses, it, it says this, and I just wanted to read it here a little bit. Uh, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians come into our land and treads and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And so the idea here is I, I think there's a couple important sec, uh parts of this of this scripture. Number one It talks about, and this is the most famous part, but you, O Bethlehem, out of you shall come uh, this Messiah. And so as we know, Jesus, even though his parents are from Nazareth, uh, God orchestrates it so that he is born in Bethlehem. Um, And that's one of the things that's put forward. And when you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, when it says he's born in Bethlehem, it says, you know, this is to fulfill the prophecy. And it actually goes back to Micah, all of those different things. But that is why it's happening there. And the other thing I think that's interesting is... For from you shall come forth to me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from days of old, from ancient days. And a lot of times, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but remember that the first time that we get this idea of Messiah or the idea of someone who's going to come and set things right is actually uh, with Adam and Eve leading the garden. So it's about as ancient as you can get as far as history goes. But if you remember, I'm kind of going off the top of my head here, but You know, it says the serpent, one day basically someone will come and the serpent will strike at his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And obviously, it's talking about um, Jesus there and that through the lineage of men, God is going to come and he's going to set set things right the way that they're supposed to be. And so, it's just a really beautiful passage of Micah and it's a reminder for us today about just the beauty of who Jesus is and, and really even 600 years before he was born that he was prophesied to come.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, even as we continue to progress in this week, you will find the, the reoccurring theme, which is why we want to call it like the complex Messiah or whatever we're going to call this title uh, of this podcast, but uh, we're even going to see this in John, which is one of the highlights I want to give. We're going to be jumping in uh, and starting the book of John this week in chapters one through six, uh, and just a few reminders for us as we're jumping into this book uh, that it is written by John, who is the son of Zebedee, which is one of Jesus's disciples, who also self proclaims himself to be the disciple whom Jesus loved.
0: Also, uh, nickname uh, the Sons of Thunder, which is one of the great James names and John. The Bible. Yes,
1: brothers. Yes, so um, so it is written by John, who is a beloved disciple, who's also one of the Thunder Thunder brothers. That'll work too. I like that. Um, it's, it's also uh, something that the one of the themes that John writes is to reinforce that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Son of God. Those are very big themes throughout this book. And you'll see a lot through the different content and the different pieces of, in the book of John, where even the I am sayings where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth and the life, or uh, I am the good shepherd. Like these are statements where Jesus is putting himself in leadership and authority over people and as the son of God. And so John really does a very intentional job and strategic job in writing about Jesus as the son of God, as well as the Messiah. Uh, and even as we, I mean, in, in a way that he does this, you'll see right off the bat in John chapter one, verses one through eighteen, you'll you'll see John's uh, verbiage and the way he writes. He says this, and I'll just read a couple of verses. It says, "In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God." We find out later that the implication is the Word was is made his uh, became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. Um, and it's just this picture that Jesus existed long before the creation of the world. Jesus co- existed along with God before anything else was formed, and it just speaks to Jesus' divinity. It speaks to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. We talked about Trinity in this uh, in, a, in the last Q&A podcast, so if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Uh, but we talked about the idea of Trinity, and this is just one of those other ways that Scripture reveals to us the, the sonship and messiahship, if you will, uh, of of who Jesus is. And it's interesting because if you look at the other four gospels in comparison, they all start without, with some lineage, some historical rootedness. Matthew gives us massive lineage. Luke gives a lineage as well saying this is where Jesus, in essence, his uh, heritage lies where he comes from the, the the human line that Evan just alluded to. Uh, But John does not do that. John, John starts with before the creation of the world, Jesus existed. He was the word and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, and so I think the book of John, we're going to see this this pretty big theme of Jesus's divinity, Jesus's messiahship, Jesus's sonship as the son of God. Uh, and so just be looking for that as you're reading this week, uh, different miracles, different things that will reveal God and his authority and his power.
0: And it's a good reminder, too, to keep... Uh, keep in mind the audiences that different books of the Bible are written to. Because again, for the book of Matthew, um, he's writing to a Jewish audience, and therefore, obviously, they care. You know, does this Jesus – uh, fulfill the messianic prophecies. Is he descended in the line of Jude all these different things? Whereas John's writing to Greeks and, you know, they could care less yeah, about th- those things. Don't matter. Yeah. I don't care who his parents are. Tell me how great and, and powerful he yeah, is. Yeah. The idea that he, why should I follow him? Yeah. The idea that he was there uh, before the creation of the world. Now that's something, um, to, to be talking about, but moving forward, uh, like I said, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Messiah today, a lot about the Messiah today, and we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Um, last week, we talked about Isaiah's call to ministry, which is honestly just one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It's super awesome. And, and this week, we're going to be talking about um, probably the more famous passage from Isaiah. Um, if you've ever uh listen to Handel's Messiah it's like repeated 70,000 times in that song so or not song symphony I want to know what she call it anyway it's good stuff it's you know it's good to cross off your bucket list but anyway moving moving on with that um again with Isaiah when you're reading through this week you're going to notice kind of a roller coaster happening that there's a lot of talk about the coming destruction of Israel and Judah um but there's also a lot of talk about God's mercy and some of that mercy is going to be um not far off. You know, This again, this is about 600 years before uh, Jesus is born. And so some of the mercy of God is is present where, you know, Babylon comes in and conquers. And then by the time that mm-hmm. Persia is ruling over Israel, we actually see um, Ezra and Nehemiah come back to the land of Israel. And they begin to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple, all these different things, which is it was just a really beautiful picture of God taking care of his people even in the midst of exile and in the midst of being ruled over by others. But a lot of what is being talked about are things that get fulfilled either in Christ and and who he is or even things that have not yet been fulfilled that we as Christians are looking forward to being fulfilled one day. And in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 through 7, I think it's a really cool picture. And again, just like in Micah, um, right before, it's talking about how times are going to get really tough. It's going to be dark. And then we get this, um, really just this beautiful poetry that Isaiah writes. Um, and it says, starting in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. You have multi- multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the days day of midian for every boot the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood and burned for fuel in the fire so i want to i want to pause here really quick because i think it's really interesting that isaiah is calling back and he says specifically you have broken the rod of the oppressor as you did in the day of midian and if we if we remember back to the story of gideon um, that is when that is the era that he's referring to, when Midian is oppressing the people of Israel. And one of the things that is really great about the story of Gideon, and it's true in, in some of the other judges as well, but I think it's very obvious in the point of Gideon is in the story of Gideon, is that Gideon is not the hero of his own story. Um, Gideon is called by God to do something, but God makes it very, very obvious that this is not some this is not a triumph of humans. This is not a triumph of men, but rather it is a triumph of the living God. And so you'll remember from the story, um, Gideon brings this massive army, it gets cut down, and it keeps getting cut down until instead of tens of thousands, he instead has, about 300 men. And with these 300 men, because of God's incredible empowerment, they actually end up driving out the Midianites from their land and killing both of the kings. And in that story, what we see is that God accomplishes something incredible and it's not done by the work of human hands. Um, and we're about to see what is God going to do just like that. So, if God has broke the rod of the oppressors in Midian in those days, how is he going to break the rod of the oppression of sin? How is he going to break the rod of the oppression of just you know the fall of man? And here's how. He says, For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again, just a quick reminder at the end this is something that God is going to do. This is not something that we get to accomplish. And I think it's really easy for us as Christians, even today, if we wouldn't say it um, necessarily out loud, but we would admit that, you know, sometimes we, we try to save ourselves. Um, we, we, we don't like the idea that our salvation isn't necessarily up to us, but it's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's us trusting in the completed worth of work of Christ. It's not something that we ourselves can earn. And I love that again, hundreds of years before Jesus is actually on the scene and before his work is accomplished. We see this wonderful picture of Isaiah. And again, if you've you know, ever been to a Christmas Eve service or whatever it <laughs> is in songs, you've heard that one passage before. But I wanted to highlight the pa- the the section at the beginning and at the end where it makes clear that this is a work, not of humans, but this is a work of God himself.
1: Yeah, so good. And I mean, even just to simply say like, that's the power of the gospel. Like this like, passage of Isaiah is such a... a uh, a powerful demonstration where it's, it's, I mean, the story of Gideon is he, he didn't do anything. Right. And who, how are we going to break the power of sin? We won't be able to do any of that. Jesus will take care of it. And it's such an unorthodox way. It's a way that would never be expected. Uh And so that's the beauty of the gospel. Even as you, again, reading John, John 3, 16, a very familiar <laughs> verse from many of us, that's the beauty of the gospel. Uh And, and it's with that gospel in mind that we, as we read first Corinthians this week, it's, uh, it's what Paul is is all about. It's what Paul is calling the church at Corinth. You see that segue. Uh, oh called... snap! Hey, I have my I have my moments. Um, but really, Paul is taking uh, a letter and writing the church at Corinth, which is a church that has grown, which has been doing well, but it be- has become dysfunctional. It has become uh, improperly focused on on the it's lost side of the gospel, for lack of a better way to put it. Listen, and,
0: Aaron, sleeping with your stepmom does not make you dysfunctional, okay?
1: That's called sarcasm. That's so also true. you can't see his face, um, but he was totally smiling the whole time uh because of sarcasm. So uh, but we're going to jump into First Corinthians this week. Uh, there's only a couple chapters that we're going to read. Uh, but again, I like to make sure when we're jumping into a book, we spend we we remind ourselves why are we reading this, or what's the purpose and the theme behind it, who wrote it, and why did they write it. Uh, and so, as I said, Paul wrote it. He wrote it to the church at Corinth. Uh, and it, really, the church needed correction. Its leadership kind of let it uh, let it go astray, and so it needed uh, some correction and even a loving rebuke, if I'm being honest with you, uh, because the church was operating improperly. And I want us to make sure that we don't misunderstand the value of this book for our lives specifically, because even— Uh, You know, shout out to the church and the series we're going through is Stop Being the Church right now. We're talking about the fact that we are the church, the body of Christ. Stop going to church. Stop going to church. Not stop being the
0: church. (laughs) Oh, oh my goodness. Thank you for that correction.
1: Um, I was testing Evan. He passed with flying colors. You're welcome, Pastor Nick. Um, But this whole idea that we are the body of Christ, we are the church. Uh, And so as Paul directs and as Paul is speaking, he's not speaking to a building or an organization. He's speaking to people. Uh, and so one of the biggest themes we'll find in 1 Corinthians is the church uh, is divided because of the arrogance uh, of some of its powerful members, uh, and Paul really wants them to work together for the advancement of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, it, it should be the only focal point in our lives. Uh, and so he wants them to drop the divisive one-upsmanship. up upsmanship. I love the phrasing of that, uh, where it's trying to be better than the next person. Well, you can do this. I can do this better. Uh, and he wants us to build the faith. Or he wants us to build the faith of those who are weak uh, and witness effectively to unbelievers. That's the mission of the church that Paul is trying to get First Corinthians to hit on. Uh, and in first uh, in chapter one verses ten to seventeen, I want to read this real quick because I think it's such a, a great challenge for us today. Uh, but he says this: I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus or Gaius. For now, no one can say they were baptized in my name. For Christ did send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. And I think it's important to realize the, the mission of the church, the mission of the body of Christ is Jesus. It's to build up each other's faith, to see whose faith may be weaker, as Paul explains in the theme and the heart behind speaking to the dysfunction and the disorderly conduct. He's speaking to the, the strong believers, the most powerful influencers in the church as he knows it to be reminded of why are we doing what we're doing and why are we why are we a part of this body of Christ because it's a it's about Jesus and this gospel that we see throughout Scripture displayed uh, and so I just want to encourage us today as we jump into this book as we jump into First Corinthians again even the Gospel of John to not lose sight of why we're doing, what we're doing and being a part of this body of Christ
0: absolutely well that wraps it up for the uh, the Messiah extravaganza or whatever we're calling this episode stay tuned for the title uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church you can check out all of our other podcasts and resources on our website at grove.church and do us a favor leave a five star review on whatever uh, app you're using to listen to the podcast it just helps get us out there to more people and grow this community of uh, people of people reading the Bible together. With that being said, we will see you all next week.